This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's your week been, mate? Yeah, good so far, mate. Um, sunshine's out, which is a, is a rarity, isn't it? So It's a bit of a quiet one, isn't it? Yeah, football-wise, very quiet. Um, that's why I was trying to focus on the positive, mate, sunshine. <laughs> um, but certainly, yeah, um, <clears throat> it's, it's always like that. We dread it, don't we, in, in our jobs, these international breaks, because um, it's just a completely different environment that we work in, and sadly one that's not as enjoyable, uh, as I'm sure it is for many listeners as well. Yeah, I always think it's funny how uh, coincidentally when there's no football getting played, you see rumours of transfers emerging. <laughs> Shock. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. It's it's quite clearly a, a dry news week. Um, and considering we have a Liverpool podcast to press on with, we should have probably done a Q&A this week. Um, so regular listeners of the show, regular contributors to Q&As on this show, uh, look out for that next week. You know, we might do that next week considering, you know, it depends what's going on at the time and things like that, but it might be something we use to fill the slot next week. But this week, we do have things to talk about. Um, a, a bit of a variety of topics, really, uh, touching on different things. I think first, mate, we will start with probably the Champions League draw. Uh, obviously, we we previewed it before it happened and we assumed certain teams would go through and things like that. Talked about the best case scenario, the worst case scenario. And the team Liverpool ended up getting was a team that we didn't actually anticipate going through <laughs> um, in Benfica. So, I mean, I'm sure you're you're in the same boat as me in terms of thinking that it's it's probably the best draw Liverpool could have got. Yeah, just, just out of interest, I did have a look at um, 538 Champions League predictions and... Um... According to them, Benfica are the worst side still left in the competition, which would probably go it with with my opinion as well. Um, obviously, you know, no team at at this stage is 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 a poor side, and Benfica definitely aren't that. But it it, it definitely was the way, the best case scenario. I'm trying to think maybe would you have had Villarreal over? I don't know. I, I think of the two, I still probably would have gone for Benfica. So. Good draw for Liverpool. In reality, I think uh, I didn't watch the game live. I saw the highlights. I think they were quite fortunate to get past Ajax. They had uh, they had one shot on target on the night, and that proved to be the only goal of the game. So a little bit fortunate, but this is all good news for Liverpool. I think it's a really really good draw for Liverpool. Okay, you you probably got Bayern Munich waiting in the semi-finals, but you can't get to the semi-finals and 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 not come come across you know them the very best left in the competition. So, in all, Josh, I thought it was a, a really good draw uh, for Liverpool and you backed them from this point to at least get to the semi-finals. Yeah, well, you touched on 538 rankings there, 538 probabilities and stuff. I had a look at um, just general UEFA club coefficients uh, to, to determine you know where they are in Europe in terms of their European ranking and things like that. Um, and you've got Villarreal in 20th and you've got Benfica in 26th so according to the club coefficients at least Benfica would were the worst ranked club still left in the tournament uh, I do think they've got some quality players 
Um, but this is one that Liverpool should. I think Liverpool could potentially win this in one leg if we turn up and things like that and, and do the business and stuff. Um, but as far as I'm aware, despite the... Do you do have a few familiar faces in the squad? We'll, we'll touch on that in a sec, but I think one of the reasons I'm so confident is because I, I, I think Porto are a better side uh, and Liverpool have have dominated Porto for years. It seems to be uh, the customary 5-0 whenever we play Porto. Um, we've obviously just snatched Porto's best player, but Lewis Diaz did play against us twice in the group stages. Liverpool won both games. Um, so, yeah, at the minute, Benfica are currently ranked uh, third in the Portuguese top flight. They are 12 points behind uh, Porto. And last season, they also finished third. Um, as it stands right now, they've scored the same amount of goals as Porto, but they've conceded six more. Um, so, yeah, overall, I mean, slightly basic analysis maybe, if you like, but I do think that Porto are a better side than this team. Um, yeah. And Liverpool have steamrolled Porto. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the underlying numbers, even things like you know XG four and against, do paint them as the the kind of second or third best team in the league, uh, which coincides with their league position. So you're facing you know second or third best side in Portugal, um, and considering Liverpool have, have played champions of of much stronger divisions, you know, for example, Inter, um, that that bodes well. I think another thing that bodes well is. Earlier on in the competition, they did they were in a group with Bayern. Now, obviously, we've talked before that the three big teams in the competition this year, in our opinion, uh, of Liverpool, Manchester City, and Bayern Munich. Um, and over the the, the two legs, uh, they were beat nine two by Bayern Munich, uh, which is you know fairly uh, comprehensive victories in both matches. So. Everything's pointing to this being a fairly comfortable two-legged tie. Now, you never know, of course, but I was actually thinking before, Josh, in terms of the Champions League competition, it's a competition that, certainly in these latter stages, doesn't really seem to throw up that many upsets. Now, maybe you'll list a couple off the top of your head, but I can't think of many big upsets in the competition in recent years. Uh, you know, you could maybe make a case for like, you know, uh, good comeback wins, but in terms of teams, kind of, um, maybe Ajax at Madrid on route to when Liverpool won it, but beyond that, I'm struggling. Yeah, I agree. Maybe you could flag Atletico Madrid against Liverpool a few seasons ago uh, with Adrian in goal. <laughs> I'm never forgetting that. Still keeps you up at night, that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Christ. Obviously painful, that one. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I think when it gets, this is what they call a business end. You know, this is when it gets serious. And when it gets serious, the top players in particular are, are extremely focused. And as a result of that, there isn't that many slip-ups. And uh, I think that should be that should be the case, really. Um, mm. But as, as I said earlier about Benfica's squad, if you, did, if you do look at their squad, I was quite... I wasn't aware of how many familiar faces play for them. Are you aware of this, Dave, or... Only when I had similar to you, I'd look and I was like, "Oh, there's there's Everton, there's Nunes, you know, and few few of the yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we've got we've got Jan Vertonghen, who used to play for Spurs, obviously. Uh, Alex Grimaldo is a player I know. Um, I think he was the captain of Barcelona B, and he came through at Barcelona, but he he sold him. Uh, Julian Weigel, who used to be a Borussia Dortmund, Thomas Tuchel signed him 
after he took over from Klopp at Dortmund and Weigel was was looking very good actually, but I'm not sure mm. exactly sure how he ended up in the Portuguese top flight. But uh, Nicolas Otamendi as well, who traditionally doesn't play well against Liverpool. I didn't know Otamendi um, was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so that's what I mean. I think if you were playing the three-four-three three, uh, for the first half of the season, and that incorporated the back three of Otamendi, Vertonghen, and a lad called Andre Almeida. I think Almeida is their captain, but for whatever reason, as the season's progressed, he's stopped playing matches, and I'm not sure if he's if the sun up, if he's injured, if he's just not playing well. I've got no clue really, but he's. But for whatever reason, he seems to have shifted towards a bit of a four-four-two in the middle of the season. And obviously, that consists of I think a back two, a, a centre back pairing of a Osimendi and Vertonghen, yeah. uh, both aged thirty-four. So that'll be interesting from a Liverpool perspective. They also have Adele Terapt, who is the greatest Championship player ever. I think. Yeah, yeah, literally the absolute one-off. Uh, I think he's. You he, say that. Sorry to go interrupt, but he, uh, literally, I was uh, I was on Twitter last night having a little scroll, and uh, so he'd come up like a highlight reel. Someone just saying like what a uh, what a player he was on his day. Um, Did you watch it? Yeah, oh, yeah, you had to, mate. Just yeah, any the, any uh, anytime yeah. you get the opportunity to watch a highlight reel of his, just just watch it. Yeah, it's pure joy, mate. It's um, yeah, honestly, it's pure joy. He's a uh, Obviously, he wasn't the most consistent player. Didn't always translate in high levels, but he, uh, he was a really fun player on his day. Yeah, he was a, he was another Mitrovic wing when it comes to the Premier League. Maybe not doing it as much, but when it comes to you know the, the Championship, he he really did turn up. If you look at his that's if you look at his FB, his FB ref numbers, right, um, yeah. and go across every season, he's now thirty two. Yeah, he, he had such a outlier season, age twenty one. Scored 19 league goals and registered 15 assists. That's a serious output for a wide player. And that, apart from that, the next best is seven goals and five assists. Just yeah. a total one-off yeah. season. That, that's the definition of a one-hit wonder, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a headache in terms of uh, for recruitment uh, departments, that, isn't it, really? Because you look and you think you've got this player who's about to peak uh, and then suddenly, um, it never really happened. You know what that reminds me of? I'm just trying to bring up his numbers. Do you remember um, Everton signed a, a, an attacker called Sandro Ramirez from Malaga? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure he scored about, uh, I don't want to say, say uh, maybe 14 La Liga goals um, as like a young 21, 20-year-old. Looked like he was about to hit the heights, and then I don't think he's ever hit double double digits then, since. Like I can't get up at the moment. My internet's running a little bit slow, but he's another example of that kind of player. Yeah, well, that's that's the risk that you're taking when you sign these players based on individual seasons. Obviously, mm. the, the the perk is that you get them first and and things like that. But um, there's always the risk that it could go wrong. Another player who comes to mind like that, who I suppose, I mean, he's this. this shouldn't come to mind at all because he's totally different but they quite when he was in or Kaut or whatever you want to call him when he was in the Dutch head VC scoring so often so age 22 30 goals didn't he? yeah age 22 he scored I mean we'll, we'll do non-penalty so age 22 he scored 14 then 16 then 26 and then 20 and then he came to Liverpool 
and uh, at Liverpool, his best season uh, non-penalty was 12 goals. Um, and he ended up playing as a winger. <laughs> yeah, I um, say, he was only successful, wasn't he? Because he had to reinvent himself, really. Like, in terms yeah. of coming in as a goal-scoring forward, he, he didn't succeed. Yeah. Um, they've also got a player called Everton Suarez, I think, who was linked with actual Everton, wasn't he? Yeah, linked with Everton, then uh, I think the year after, maybe Arsenal. Um, yeah. Uh, and neither comes to fruition, clearly. Yeah, they've got Roman Yeremchuk, who people will be aware of from the Euros, I assume. Uh, played up front for Ukraine and caused a few problems in, in the Euros for defences, scored a few goals. And But I think that the two main threats, maybe you could probably say, uh, a lad called Rafa Silva, who's now 28, very quick, tricky. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, there's, there's quite a few of him in the Premier League, I'll be honest. But in Benfica and in the Portuguese league, he's probably one of the top performers, registers a lot of assists. I think so far this season he's got fourteen assists to his name in the in the uh, league only that. Um and a lot of those assists have been for Darwin Nunes up front. He's obviously the main threat. Uh twenty goals so far this season in the Portuguese top flight. Two assists. He was the only player with more goals than Luis Diaz in January when there was, when when he moved to, to Liverpool. Uh, he knocked Ajax out in the last round. It was a good header, actually, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah, it was. It was a good header. Yeah, he looks like a, a good header. Yeah, he looks like a top performer, uh, and he's actually a bit quicker than I thought he was upon first inspection of him. So he's one Liverpool will have to look after. He's still only twenty-two. Um, linked with West Ham in January, he did he didn't get him? Apparently, the likes of Arsenal and, and Man United and that are looking at him. So he's probably destined for big things. So if Liverpool are going to get through. Uh, probably going to have to keep him quiet. Um, mm. And then, obviously, in the next round, we were probably looking at Bayern Munich, mate. Um, and considering we said the week before that the two teams we wanted to avoid most was Chelsea and Manchester City, it's not bad, is it? No, it's not. Um, and as I touched on at the beginning, I think when you get to the semi-final stage, it's um, it's really difficult to kind of uh, avoid specific opponents, you know, because... We've said all along there's three top sides in the, the in the competition. Uh, we've already said it was City, Liverpool, Bayern. Um, you know, that's three of the four potential semi-final places. And then the other one that we've flagged as a team we we you would want to avoid was was Chelsea, wasn't it? Um so it's uh, look, at semi final stage, it is what it is, isn't it? You've just got to beat whoever's in front of you. It's gonna be a top side. You'd have to be very, very Fortunate, it'd have to be an off year for the Champions League to come up against a, an opponent who you felt really confident against. Um, but I don't know, we've kind of said that maybe you know, we not confidence is too strong, but I don't think Liverpool would fear Bayern, would they? No, I don't think so. I think Bayern are more likely to fear Liverpool a bit. Mm. Um, but I think it's, I think the two sides are fairly well matched, I think they're fairly similar across the board, really. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to that if it happens. Yeah, you know, obviously Villarreal could get through. <laughs> yeah, obviously Villarreal could get through. Well, this is what I was just laughing and thinking. I've just made this big case. Upsets don't really happen. You don't tend to get the easy games in semi-finals, and then you know Villarreal could end up pulling an upset because it is football at the end of the day. So, so who knows? We'll see. Uh, but I'd be very shocked at that. 
very yeah, shocked. I would, I would. The only, the only downside maybe about the draw is in terms of Manchester City, who I think are the biggest threat for Liverpool in the tournament. Um, they are now potentially able to win the tournament while also facing Liverpool without having to navigate Anfield, um, which is 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 big in it comes when it comes to European competition. Uh, City have collapsed at Anfield in the past a number of times, and now, from their perspective, if you're looking at it from a positive perspective, if you're Pep Guardiola, you could probably only look at it as, okay, we only have to beat Liverpool over one game in a neutral venue, rather than two legs, one of those being at Anfield. So, I don't know, do you reckon that plays much of a part, or do you reckon I'm, I'm overthinking that one? No, I think it's a really good point. It's uh, it's not something that I initially thought of, um, but now you've just said it, and I, I know Pep Guardiola, I think that would be a huge factor, something that I'd be really relieved about um, because it has always been notoriously a difficult place. You know, he's only, uh, he's been here, like, has he been in England five years, is it? Um, yeah, something like that. And, and I'm right in saying the only victory he's got at Anfield was the the 4-1 behind closed doors, is that right? Yeah, where we had yeah, a number well, of injuries as well. Yeah, so that record does speak for itself a little bit. So I think, Deep down, he will be quite relieved that um, if he if he's coming up to get against Liverpool, it's a neutral venue, it's over ninety minutes, and City are capable of of beating Liverpool over ninety minutes. In the same way, you know, Liverpool are capable of beating City in that period as well. It just becomes a lot more of an even fixture. Whereas I think um, the Etihad doesn't have that same fear factor to it at present. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You speak at the Etihad. We will move away from the Champions League for the moment. And Liverpool have a trip to the Etihad penciled in for the 10th of April. And now, six days later, Liverpool have to face Manchester City once again uh, in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. So, two meetings against City in the space of a week. When you actually think about it as well, mate, this is... um, that we could kind of define the season for both clubs because in the space of six days, Liverpool could technically really be, not out of it, but become a long shot for the Premier League title if they get beat. And then they could get knocked out of the FA Cup. So the whole quadruple tour goes towards, you know, or we can only win the the, the double now if that. Um, So it is a massive week, isn't it? And I know Klopp said that. Um, you can you've got to face City eventually when you get to the last rounds of these tournaments, but it's I mean you, you it's it's not a great thought, is it? <laughs> no, it, look, it gets. Um, uh, what I've always found with fixtures against the same opposition in a short space of time is, I think it just really muddies the water with them. You know, the, you start having to look at it. Certainly from a tactical perspective, you have to look at it from a a wider point of view. Um, it gets a lot more messy, and I mean, let you know, we're talking about playing twice in the space of a week, a week and a half, whatever it is. But if both teams are going to, you know, go all the way in Champions League, there's going to be a third meeting in there. So there's going to be a th- three meetings between these two ta- uh, teams in the space of, say, what off the top of my head, six weeks, three different competitions on the line, all latter stages of 
um, you know, it's FA Cup, Premier League, and Champions League pretty much decided in these in these three games. You know, there's a lot on the line here, um, and I, I think that brings a lot of pressure. I also think I just don't know how you then kind of cope for how you approach each game. You know, I feel like you have to change your approach for each, and it just becomes a very a very messy and far from ideal. Klopp's right in what he says. You'd have to you have to come up against the likes of City in the last stage of competitions, but it doesn't mean that it gets any easier. Um I mean how would you how would you approach that? You know, do if you play City in the Premier League, maybe it depends what happens there. Then you've got played in the FA Cup, do you feel like you need to change your approach for that game? Uh and then if you go through Champions League, are you thinking have you got to change it again for the Champions League final if they got there to it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot of extra baggage on fixtures that are already tough. Well, I think if it's Pep, I think this is potential overthinking down this. We know what he's like, don't we? In terms of making mm. these tactical adjustments that are sometimes unnecessary. And I think if he's facing the same opposition on a number of occasions, in this case, twice in six days, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, to navigate that, he comes up with some complex plan that his players can't really understand. Um, mm. So it's going to be interesting. But one one thing I think is is quite crucial when it comes to this period, in 11 days, in an 11-day period, Man City have Atletico Madrid, then Liverpool, then Atletico Madrid, then Liverpool. Whereas Liverpool obviously have Benfica in the place of, of Atletico Madrid. So as I said, Liverpool can probably beat Benfica in one leg. Um, so, I think considering the strength of City's opponents, they have four games in a row in the space of eleven days. I, I can't. I'd be really surprised if they win all four of those matches. Um, mm. And I think there's been there's been some pieces, some articles on this, and I've been reluctant to flag it to raise it. And fair play to the journalists who have mentioned it. But if you look at City's squad, right, not to give them any kind of, you know, let off the awkward and like that, but. It's not as deep as you think, you know. It, 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 I think they've got like a. I think Liverpool have got about twenty-five players who could actually come in and and do a re- relatively decent job. I think City have got a real core of something like eighteen. I think it is. Um, don't get me wrong; they've obviously got great depth and they've got two players in every position. But if you look at the the, the numbers in terms of quantity, once you get past their eighteenth man, it, it's like you know. The likes of Palmer and, and Zach Steffen and Scott Carson and players like that. It's it's not players who are going to contribute anything on the pitch. And it's, it's players who Guardiola's going to avoid if he can. Whereas Klopp's mm. 18th, 19th man is, is probably like, you know, I don't know, Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones and players like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how City, how City, you know, navigate this part of the season, especially that, that 11-day period against top-quality opponents who are going to give you a real game in terms of intensity. Yeah, yeah. And this is why I think it's really, you know, as we've seen in the past, it's so hard to win multiple trophies. Uh, City have done one, I think they've done the domestic treble, haven't they, in recent times, but I don't think they've, they've done repeated that. Oh, have they? I don't think they have, have they? Um, yeah, I'm sure. Off the top of my head, anyway, I don't think they have. Um, and, you know, we're talking about Liverpool quadruple. My opinion is Liverpool pick up another trophy at least this season. Which one? I don't know. Um, it could be in my in, in my eyes, Premier League, FA Cup, or Champions League. But I do think it's really difficult to to go and win 
all three from this point because of the reasons you've just said. You know, Liverpool have got good squad depth, but I think it's uh, it's just so hard to navigate these fixtures. And Liverpool have it slightly easier, as you pointed out. You know, you'd prefer to be playing Benfica than Atletico. There's, there's every tra- chance that Liverpool win it in the first leg and can take it easier in the second leg. Knowing what Atletico are like, it's very unlikely that City will be able to do that. Um, so since Liverpool have it a little bit easier, but I think it'll still be so difficult to go and win all three from this point on uh, because of the reasons we've just said. Yeah, I mean, we, we will preview the games when we get closer to them. But it is an insistent period of the season. It's 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 a part of the season that Liverpool are obviously getting really strained to compete in. But this is where you want to be, really. You know, you want to be competing for everything. Mm. This is what this is the price that you pay. Um, but aside from tournaments, it wouldn't be an international break if we didn't speak about at least one transfer rumour. Uh, and this, this was on the agenda last week, but we didn't get round to it. And since I've been DM'd, about you know, one of your thoughts on it. Can we speak about it on the show? And that is Liverpool's supposed interest in Gavi of Barcelona. Uh, thoughts on this one, mate? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't seen the original sources of uh, of the story. Um, you put on my radar the, initially. The original source is someone who's, who, from my perspective, I'm not in with the Barcelona crowd, but he... I think he's the Barcelona guy, basically. It's it's Gerard Romano, Gerard Moreno, is it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. The Barcelona man, basically. So he he, he reckons Liverpool have offered have offered Gavi something like a a wage packet anyway. That's about hundred grand a week, and he's currently on because he's a kid. He, he's currently on, I think, about two and a half grand a week. Wow. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So I think he's I think he's encounter, encountering some. Contract issues with Barcelona in terms of negotiating the next one, and that's yeah. that's maybe where it's coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget he's still, you know, just obviously a teenager, seventeen years old. Uh, so even though I can't, you know, you can sit back and think, is that all he's on? You know, he's he's really, it's been a you know meteoric rise, and you know, he he does look an absolute phenomenal talent. I mean, I spoke to you earlier, didn't I? And uh, I don't watch them every year, but. Just so happens this Sunday I watched the El Clasico, which was a crazy game, by the way. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> um but he didn't start in that game. He come on um in the second half. And there was one moment in particular where it just kind of captured how good he is and what he can do. Uh and he picked the ball up uh, inside his own half, took it on the half turn. In fact, Josh, if you go on White Scouts and look at his dribbles, it'll be on there while just while I'm talking it through. Um, takes it on the half turn, comes away, dances through a couple um, Madrid players. And Casemiro tries to just chop him down. He actually hits the floor sliding in. He, he bounces through that. And in the end, I can't, I can't remember who it was. Someone just drags him down for a foul. Um, but he's he's just such an exciting talent. You know, he's... he's uh, yeah, really uh, got excellent agility, good dribbler, good turn of pace. You know, his, his distribution's fantastic. If Liverpool could pull this off, um, I think it'd be a phenomenal sign, especially given his age. You know, I think he isn't... I, uh, some of the El Clasico players, you know, Barca, Madrid stars, they can be hyped a little bit, but I think his hype is definitely justified. Yeah, I agree. I think he looked very, very good. Um Ridiculous that he's 17 years old. I think it's interesting that he was called up 
to represent the Spain, Spanish national team before he made his Barcelona debut, I think. Um, Luis Enrique was, was convinced that he was ready uh, for whatever reason. I think it was Ronald Koeman wasn't using him at Barcelona. Um, and he called him up to the Spanish national team. I think he played against Italy in the semi-final of the Nations League. And he was brilliant. He was everywhere. Uh, one thing I do love about him, and one of the reasons I believe, or, or would believe that Liverpool would be a fan of the kid, is as well as him being extremely technical and typically, you know, a product of the Barcelona Academy in that regard, he's so industrious when it comes to his, his work rate and his, his defensive contributions. It absolutely works like a dog. Um, runs, co- covers so much ground. Reminds me of young Henderson in that regard. Um, mm. But then, in addition to that, he's obviously got an extremely technical game and uh, just looks very, very good. And obviously, in in a, in a normal situation, uh, the reasoning would be, well, Barcelona aren't going to sell him. But this is a situation, as I said, where he has a, a bit of a dodgy contract situation at the minute. His contract is due to expire next summer. But apparently this summer, before July 1st, He's got a release clause that is about, I think it's about 45 million euros or something like that, if you pay it before July. After July, I think it doubles. This is the word anyway, according to reports and things like that. Um, But considering that, 17 years old and the talent that he's got, if you can get him 45 million euros and if he's willing to come, which is the crucial thing in this this situation, I mean, Liverpool need... You know, our midfield reinforcement this summer in terms of a, uh, you know, obviously we lost we lost by an album. Thiago is now thirty years old and isn't always available. Uh, I'm not sure what the future looks like for the likes of Ox and players like that. So, I think Liverpool will add a midfield body this summer. I must admit, I don't think it'll be Gaddy, Gavi, but I think he's. I mean, it's exciting that Liverpool even getting linked. Yeah, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I tend to agree with you a little bit. I think it'd be really exciting if he arrived. The only thing that goes against Liverpool is uh, obviously he's come through Barcelona, got Xavi there, and um, <clears throat> although Barcelona have been a mess for such a long period, I thought what was clear from that victory that obviously not going to win the league this year. There's still a big gap, but what was clear from that victory was just how much it's all coming together for Xavi at Barcelona. You know, they looked so much like um, the Barcelona of old. They were phenomenal. No, Madrid just couldn't get near them. It was uh, it was painful at times watching it. Um, I, I, well, I, I don't know. It was quite funny watching Ancelotti struggle a little bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah. No, it was um, it was such dominance. I just think you know the way they're going to play. He's ideal for that, and I think Javi could be in his ear and could kind of sell him the dream to 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 stay. Uh, so that's the only drawback. I think. I think if he was at another club. Or maybe still at Barcelona, where they're in the midst of you know turmoil. Then, then maybe there'd be more chance. But the, 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 there's been a wind of change there, shall we say? And maybe that might work against any potential interest of the clubs. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I, I saw a quote from Luis Enrique, and I think he described him as a, a true Barcelona interior. Um, and I think an interior in, in that language is, an, is a number eight, basically. Mm. Um, and I think, obviously, Liverpool have, have been obsessed with this 4-3-3 system for years. Barcelona are currently playing 4-3-3. I 
So I do think he would seamlessly slot in as Liverpool's left side of number eight if he was to come to Liverpool's system. And I think, as I said, his natural style of play, his intensity would suit Liverpool to a T. I think he'd think he'd be great. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I do agree with you. I think Barcelona seems to be up and coming now. Um, if I was him, I probably wouldn't leave, really. I mean, you're in a position where you're 17, you don't really need to rush it, do you? As I said, the team around you's growing. You've got Xavi in charge of you. Um, but it's an interesting one to follow. Um, he is extremely versatile as well. I should, I should throw that in there. Despite being a left-sided number eight, predominantly, I think since he's emerged, he's played on both flanks as a number 10. So he's, he's he is a, looks like a bit of a dream, to be honest. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But I would be very surprised if Barcelona can't get his contract situation sorted out. Um, and you know, we you never never want to rule this out in a Liverpool context, do you? Because of the the shrewd business Liverpool have done over the years and their ability to maybe snatch Thiago and, and players like that from Bayern Munich in, in the summer of 2020. So it is slightly possible, but I think it's probably a long shot. This one, yeah, yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the same camp. Um, but you never know, as you said, with Liverpool, you just never know. And it would be such an exciting one to come through. You know, if you could pull that off, then, you know, you know you're sort of the next, what, 10 years, potentially? No, I don't want to probably longer. Go. Yeah, probably longer, yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. You know, we won't, we won't put all our eggs in that basket just in case. Yeah, then there's the ones to follow anyway. Um, so before we close, before we round up, I just want to touch on the performances of... A certain Diogo Jota because he's having a bit of a spell at the minute where I think he's unlike most of Liverpool players when it comes to this because he's got this weird tendency hasn't he to not particularly play very well and then score a goal mm-hmm. um, and I think he's just done it against Forrest um, he scored the, the winning goal obviously the only goal of the game got himself in the right place at the right time stayed on side just and Found a back of Neff from about six yards out. And a week earlier, he faced Arsenal. He was coming off on the hour mark, which I think captured his performance up until that point. And he scores the opening goal of the match just before he comes off. So I think it's... um, I mean, it's not something that you particularly want, I suppose. I think you want him to play well, but at the same time, it's not bad, is it? Yeah, look, it's very valuable. Uh, Very valuable indeed. Uh, I said to you a little bit earlier, I did have a look at... um, how many crucial goals he scored. And just for the purpose of this conversation, crucial goals tend to be defined as, you know, match-winning goals or goals that give the lead when the game's tied. And um, he scored eight this season, which is a lot. Um, For context, Salah scored nine more goals in total, but only seven have been defined as crucial. I threw it back a little bit further, just to have a look at Suarez and that, you know, phenomenal 13-14 season where he scored... Can't remember the top of my head was like 30 goals or something, 32 goals. Um, and only seven of them were defined as crucial. So it does give you an indication of just and there's still like about a quarter of the season to go. Uh just how how he's had the knack of for doing that this year. It's hard to kind of uh summarize or quantify what it is. You know, it's not we tend to look at uh numbers and try and back things up with um uh, you know statistics or reasoning and this is quite hard to do that. Um, how you kind of uh, somewhere has our player does this, I don't quite know. Uh, I guess it is just about 
working hard throughout the game and, and getting in those right positions. And, and maybe that's what he's doing well, even if he's not necessarily impacting the game in possession for Liverpool. You know, his, uh, his, his movement's still on point and he's getting himself in really good positions. So then when uh, when when there isn't an, op- an opening and he can't take the ball in the penalty area, he's ready to, to convert it. And as I said, maybe that's what he's still doing well, even when we're perceiving of him to not have the, the best of games. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have this knack of, of being in the right place at the right time and he, he does seem to have this poaching instinct about his game. And I think if you look at his numbers so far for the season, so on a pay 90 basis, goals, pay 90 minus penalties. As I said last week, I think he is top of the Premier League uh, for goals, pay 90 minus penalties. And it's the same for expected goals. So expected goals, paying 90 minus penalties. He is top with Mane, funnily enough, in second. And Salah in third. And Cristiano Ronaldo in fourth. And Harry Kane in fifth. And funnily enough, his his expected goals, paying 90. And his goals, paying 90, is exactly the same. Uh, 0.67. So he's obviously finishing exactly in line with expectation. Um. But he is, he is this kind of player. He's, he, he is, I will, I will admit, he is scruffy in certain moments. His first touch can look a little bit off. His link play can be a little bit off, inaccurate and things like that. And he can be a bit frustrating to watch, to be honest. But I think unlike unlike some of Klopp's other forwards, he, he will still score. He, he will still decide the game, uh, despite the fact he's not having the best game. And I think it is, it is a skill, really, to be able to, you know, to put bad moments behind you in the game and just keep playing your way. And it's it's a general analytics finding anyway that, um, you know, ball striking isn't the primary skill. Um, it's the most important thing is is just to continue getting chances getting and getting chances over and over again will get you goals regardless of how good of a finish you are. And uh, I think Jota kind of epitomises that. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I've I've been surprised about you know as uh, just how how kind of efficient he's been in front of goals since he's come to Liverpool, and you know we're talking as as a podcast who spoke about Jota and Liverpool's suitability before he was even on the radar when he was still at Wolves. But um, I've still been quite surprised at his efficiency in front of goal. I think that's been an added bonus. Maybe you know Liverpool's recruitment team expected them to to size up in the way he has when he was presented with more opportunities in this Liverpool system. You know, pro- knowing them, they probably did, but certainly just from the outside, it's been a surprise and kind of bonus to his game. And I, in terms of this finishing, do you think, do you think he'll still, it, it's something that's going to be here to stay or do you think he's just in a bit of a, um, I don't know, a purple patch? I'd say purple patch, you normally described that for four or five games. We're talking a season and a bit now, but do you think that's always going to be consistent in this game or do you think that might drop off a little while, come back or what? Well, as I said, I mean, so far this season, he's he's bang on expectation. He's, he's, he's If you look at his, his overall performance in terms of finishing, it's literally exactly level with expectation. So that suggests that he's not in any any form of purple patch, really. And I think it helps that he can he can finish with his left, he can finish with his right and he can finish with his head. A uh, very versatile way of... Uh, very versatile finisher. Um, and I also think it helped that a lot of his shots are close to goal, and I think that's 
that's another element of his, his, his poaching nature. So just looking at his, his numbers for the season, in terms of every player this season with 40 shots or more, Jota averages the, the closest distance to goal in yards. Uh, his, his average shot is about 11 yards from goal. Uh, and the second best by the same numbers is, funny enough, Bernardo Silva, um, 11.9 yards. And then you've got Brozier and, and Suchek and players who, you know, Suchek's probably getting headers close to goal and things like that. But mm. Jota, considering Jota and the, the work that he does around the box and in wide areas sometimes, you know, he's, he's getting on the end of chances really close to goal. And I think it helps, him, despite the fact that he's playing badly in certain moments or he, he looks a bit frustrating and stuff. That nature to just be in the right place at the right time just benefits him. And I think there's, there's been plenty of Premier League players over the years. Frank Lampard always comes to mind. And I think obviously Jota is very different to Frank Lampard, but um, I think he's just got that about him. Why do you think he's uh, he's profiting from good fortune a little bit? Or? Uh, no, not necessarily. I was just keen to get your thoughts. I think something on the point that you make of uh, of his um, maybe not looking at his best, what I would say is, he, uh, he has been quite a good um, versatile option for Liverpool, a bit of a, a utility player in those attacking areas. So there hasn't always been a consistency to his, his role within the side, as there really. It's not as if he's exclusively played, you know, say out on the left or exclusively through the middle. He does tend to bounce between different positions and, and maybe that's a factor, you know, that you can't kind of always find your groove in the game because you, you maybe one week, playing a certain role where you expected to do X, Y, and Z. And then the week after, that role adjusts a little bit. Um, and maybe that's why he's not looked his best. But, I mean, if he keeps scoring like that, you know, these important goals, then there's an element of who cares, you know, as long as he just keeps doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to ca- capture why he's a bit frustrating using numbers. I mean, one, one, one absolute basic one that I've just come across here is in terms of his pass completion. Um, the only player who, who seems to give the ball away more often than Jota is is Simakas, uh, and Simakas doesn't play very often. And Simakas hits you know a fair few crosses into the box and things like that. So when it comes to Jota, it does feel like he gives the ball away a fair bit. Uh, but I'd I'd say not to that above me that much because he's uh, he's obviously embracing risks. He's trying to make things happen. He's got the support and happen to attempt to, to take risks on the ball, mm. and. Uh, he seems to be delivering when he when he has to. So mm. I think he's a very valuable player, and it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on in the in the business end of the period, business end of the season, because Liverpool are going to need the decisive goals. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen, chances are he, he'll probably have a starring role only in in at least one or two big games. Yeah, and the beauty of it is now as well, if he, if he is having one of them frustrating games where he's a little bit messy and he hasn't scored. Liverpool now have the depth to just take him off and uh, not not really suffer in terms of quality. Hmm. But I think we'll round up there anyway, mate. Um, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you, mate. And cheers, everyone. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back next week to probably do a and a So if you want to start sending over questions now, please do it. Uh, you can use you know YouTube comments, Twitter DMs, whatever. Um, but I'll send out like the proper form that I usually send out. Uh, next week so look out for that one but thanks for tuning in this week and uh, we will see you then you've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo